Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Hey everybody, uh, Mr. Host here. Sorry to break up the intro. I just wanted to tell you that I had recorded this episode about 30 minutes after I woke up one day, thinking that'd be a good idea to get things done and out of the way early. And I sound um, a little sleepy and groggy. And it's pretty apparent immediately. So that's kind of funny, but I also don't sound as enthusiastic as I feel like I normally do, which is crazy because as I was recording it, I'm like, yeah, I sound perfectly normal, right? And it turns out that answer was no. But given the time and investment that I put into recording this, I'm going to keep it as is. You'll notice I do wake up through it, which is pretty funny. And I've also learned from this. I am not going to record in the future half an hour after I wake up. But in recompense, if you would like to tweet at the show at D-O-T-R-R-Pod, I will do some kind of appropriate audio shout out for you. If there is some kind of message you would like for me to say or deliver it to you or a loved one, I'd be happy to do so in recompense for sleepiness. Oh, that was a producer's note, which was me, that we gotta get rolling on with the show here. So I hope you guys enjoy the sleepy show. And do let me know on Twitter if there's any kind of shoutouts I can make for you uh, for recompense for this. Uh, I do wedding shoutouts. I do birthday shoutouts. I don't know why I thought of those in that order. Or any kind of shoutout that you can think of. Nonetheless, guys, there's good information in here. Believe it or not, teachers and podcasters get a little tired too sometimes. But this will be the only episode like this because I learned a valuable lesson. Um, and so with that said, guys, enjoy the sleepiness while it lasts, and I hope you enjoy the show. Chapter 7, Rise of Julius Caesar. Last week, we discussed the rise of Sola's subordinates, Gnaeus Pompey Magnus and Marcus Licinius Crassus. The two had their own advantages and disadvantages in playing Roman politics, but both were extremely wealthy, successful, influential, and had a lot of auctoritas. Perhaps too successful, senators united to obstruct their success and influence, and Pompey's and Crassus's goals were recently thwarted. This week, we're jumping backwards in history to discuss the early career of one Julius Caesar, possibly the most famous Roman of all time. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. As we'll see, Julius Caesar had been a background character this whole time. He was an observer of Marius and Sola's rivalry, and was affected by it in their lives and after their deaths. Our essential question to keep in mind this episode is, what is Julius Caesar like? Gaius Julius Caesar was born in 100 BCE, before Marius, Cinna, and Sola had marched on Rome. In this time, Marius ruled the Republic and was on his sixth consulship. Marius was a war hero and adored by the people for defending Rome from barbarians. Caesar was lucky enough to be Marius's nephew. His Aunt Julia was married to Marius. Caesar's family, the Julii, had a proud heritage. Like Sola, Caesar and Sola's families were both old and aristocratic, yet had fallen out of prominence for much of Roman history. However, in Caesar's early life, things began to turn around, as distant relatives had advancements in politics. Sextus Julius Caesar was consul in 91 BCE, and Lucius Julius Caesar followed him a year later, helping lead the Republic in the Social War. Gaius Julius Caesar Strabo was a magistrate in 90 BCE as well. Caesar's own father helped oversee the resettlement of Marius's veterans and would be elected praetor and serve as governor in the province of Asia. While moderately successful, 
such a career was nothing extraordinary. The young Julius Caesar would have been raised to think highly of himself, which was the standard in competitive political families. Sons were raised to be leaders who would win the family new glory and increase prestige in their name. Boys would watch their fathers conduct senatorial business, earning and using favors, making political allies, listening to senatorial meetings, and observing the channels of power at work in the Republic. These boys would someday lead the Republic, so they watched it work. But the regular Republic was being violently disrupted by the actions of Marius, Cinna, and Sulla with their marches on Rome. We don't know if Caesar's father participated in any of the violence in these marches on Rome, nor if Caesar was in the city itself to actually see these hostile takeovers. Whether he directly saw it or not, Caesar's Republic was tearing itself apart, distinguished men murdered as easily as a candle is blown out, as the ambition, pride, and rivalry of Marius and Sulla launched a civil war with unprecedented levels of violence to control the Republic. Caesar was 16 when his father died and became the head of his household. By this point, Marius too had croaked and Cinna was ruling Rome, with Sulla fighting King Mithridates in the east. Caesar lost his direct connection to Marius with his death. Yet, despite Lucius Caesar and Caesar Strabo being killed in Cinna's domination of Rome, the young Julius Caesar was apparently favored by Cinna. Caesar married Cinna's daughter Cornelia. Cinna would even nominate Caesar to the prestigious Flamindialis priesthood. The prestigious priesthood had certain political advantages and would undoubtedly increase the young man's octoritas. Yet this priesthood also had its disadvantages, like being unable to leave Rome for more than a day or see a dead body, negating any ability to become a governor or general. Caesar would have been around 18 when Sulla made his second march on Rome. Wait. Fortunately for Caesar, he didn't make it to Sulla's prescription list. Unfortunately, Sulla was none too pleased that Caesar was married to Cinna's daughter. Sulla ordered Caesar to divorce his wife as he had ordered Pompey and others to do. Out of love, stubbornness, or somewhere in between, young Julius Caesar said, I disagree. I disagree. And began his streak of defying authority. Sulla kept threatening him, taking Cornelius' dowry, the flaminate priesthood, and prevented Caesar's attempt to gain another priestly position. Caesar's name would eventually be added to the dictator's arrest list and would likely be executed upon arrest. Caesar fled into Italy, yet still had to evade Sulla's forces. He had to move nightly and could be betrayed by anyone he encountered for reward. He was even caught by Sulla's men, but bribed them 12,000 silver denarii, 100 years pay for a soldier. Caesar's mother, Aurelia, used her familial connections to Sola's men to plead pardon for him, which Sola granted. While the prescribed could not participate in government, Sola's pardon allowed Julius Caesar to begin his career as a politician. His expulsion from the Flamindialis priesthood would allow him to undertake a more conventional career. Caesar would go on to see much land outside Rome in his day, and indeed, see a lot of bodies. Julius Caesar's political career followed three basic principles. First, win the favor of influential politicians. Second, and more important, win the favor of the people. Third, and most important, always bet on Gaius Julius Caesar. This is me. This is how I win. Caesar began his career abroad, serving under the governor of Asia. Caesar's father had governed there previously, so Caesar had a natural in with important people in the region. 
Caesar did whatever task was delegated to him by the governor. The province of Asia was recently destabilized by King Mithridates VI. Sulla had defeated him, but not before Mithridates had ordered the execution of Romans and Italians in the province. Violence still troubled the province, and Caesar was ordered to bring peace. When fighting in the city of Mytilene, Caesar won the civic crown. It was a high honor awarded for someone who risked their lives to save another citizen, and was rarely awarded. The 19-year-old Caesar wore it proud. Caesar returned to Rome after Sulla's death, and as the consul Marcus Aemilius Lepidus had gone, turning his army against the Senate. Caesar may have considered joining him, and Lepidus may have offered some reward for doing so, but Caesar didn't join the uprising. In any case, Lepidus wouldn't succeed, crushed by his fellow consul and Pompey Magnus. Prosecuting corrupt politicians was a common way for young politicians to make a name for themselves, and Caesar followed this tradition. Caesar prosecuted men like the governor of Macedon for extorting his subjects. Caesar would have been approached by aggrieved Macedonians who couldn't represent themselves in Roman government, so had to convince a Roman to do so. Caesar lost the case and never successfully prosecuted anyone. But the odds were always stacked against him, as corrupt governors were rarely found guilty and were supported by their friends in the Senate. Still, Caesar portrayed himself well and proved himself a good speaker, despite being unable to beat the establishment. After a legendary encounter wherein Caesar was captured and ransomed by pirates, Caesar made it to Rhodes to study rhetoric. He was nearby when, in 74 BCE, King Mithridates started to raid in Asia. Caesar sailed to the province. Caesar, without imperium and legal authority, raised troops from local communities to fight off the invaders. A chance for Caesar, citizen of Rome, to show his quality. The ambitious young aristocrat continued to make a name for himself. Returning to Rome, Caesar was appointed to the College of Pontiffs, a very prestigious religious organization like the Flamandialis, but with none of its drawbacks. Caesar also went back to prosecuting, to no success other than getting his name out there. Caesar would be elected as a magistrate, one of 24 military tribunes. Military tribunes were quite different than the 10 tribunes of the plebs, like the Gracchi, Saturninus, Glossia, etc. Caesar had become an officer in the military, and saw he had some popularity amongst voters. As a military tribune, he may have served under Crassus during the slave war. Caesar's life was not without scandal, however. While he defied Sulla to stay married to Cornelia, who bore him his only child, Julia, Caesar had many affairs throughout his life. It was generally accepted that young aristocrats would do this, and it was permissible so long as it was kept low-key. One such mistress was Servilia, whose long-term relationship with Caesar probably lasted the course of his three marriages, and one of hers. Servilia is quite the character in her own right, immorally having an affair with Caesar, while half-sister to the virtuous Cato the Younger. She was also the mother of Marcus Junius Brutus, whose legendary ancestor had expelled King Tarquinius Superbus from Rome and helped begin the Roman Republic. Servilia wasn't Caesar's only side chick. Caesar apparently had affairs with many senators' wives. Caesar wasn't special in this regard, just like politicians competed for actoritas in politics, they competed in the bedroom, too. All this said, Caesar's sexual exploits and rumors of sexual exploits were standard fare and may have even enhanced his voter recognition, all except for his alleged relationship with King Nicomedes of Bithynia. 
The rumors began back when Caesar was serving as governor of Asia. The governor sent Caesar to King Nicomedes, a client king and ally of Rome. Old Nicomedes had probably known Caesar's father when he was governor of Asia and welcomed Caesar to his exotic eastern court. Caesar tarried in Bithynia a while, long enough for rumors to spread that Caesar was staying for pleasure. Homosexuality in Rome was fairly disliked. Senators who had gay affairs had to be extra secretive, and to be discovered led to public ridicule. Worse for Caesar, he was made out to be the passive partner, implying femininity, and portrayed as being very pleased to have King Nicomedes' attention thrust upon him. Caesar was derogatorily nicknamed the Queen of Bithynia. Such a relationship probably did not occur, but it didn't stop people from repeating the rumor. While all this speaks to Roman homophobia, the rumors were used to undermine Caesar throughout his life, even if the people who repeated them didn't actually believe it. Nonetheless, his publicity, good, bad, and in between, got his name out there to voters. Young Julius Caesar had quite a reputation in Rome. He had proven himself active and talented in battle, an active and talented speaker in the courts, and apparently, active and talented in the bedroom. By 70 BCE, Caesar was 30 years old and had enjoyed a fairly conventional career. Still, there was room to grow. In 70 BCE, he stood for the quaestorship. Again, Caesar's notoriety elected him as one of 20 quaestors. As a point of pride, Caesar won the first year he was eligible to run. By becoming a quaestor, Caesar was officially a senator. As quaestor, Caesar would serve Rome in the province of further Spain. However, before he left, his aunt Julia, wife of Marius, died, as well as his own wife Cornelia. Roman funerals were public events that offered an opportunity for self-promotion, celebrating a connection to a famous ancestor. At Julia's funeral, Caesar displayed imagery of her husband Marius and his victories. Promotion of Marius was prohibited by Sola, but few protested Caesar's action and paraded his connection to the famous defender of the Republic, who remained a popular hero to many. Truly what his Aunt Julia would have wanted. For Cornelia's funeral, Caesar gave his wife a more lavish send-off than would be expected, as Cornelia was not so distinguished a matron as Julia was. Cornelia's grand funeral helped portray to the public Caesar's love for her and his tender heart. While Caesar definitely cheated on Cornelia, their marriage, as far as we know, was happy and successful, and for all his parades, Julius Caesar probably felt some heartache at the departure of his aunt and loving wife. Publicizing it was just good business. It's just good business. Caesar sailed for the province of further Spain and served under its governor. As quaestor, Caesar carried out the tasks delegated to him, touring the region, listening to communities, and distributing peace. He performed well as quaestor, but left the province before his term was up. Caesar couldn't dazzle the Republic as quaestor. Returning to Rome, Caesar married Pompeia, a granddaughter of Sola and very distantly related to Pompey Magnus, yet had no real connection to him. Speaking of Pompey, it was around here that it was proposed Pompey be given the authority to combat piracy in the Mediterranean. While granting Pompey extra powers to fight pirates was controversial in the Senate, the common Roman citizen loved the idea. Caesar vocally supported the popular measure of the empowerment of Pompey, Caesar would later support that Pompey replace Lucullus as commander in the war against King Mithridates. Caesar didn't make much of a difference in getting Pompey this position, as he was still a young politician without much clout or influence. Nor did he gain any goodwill from Pompey. 
What Caesar did win was some notoriety in these controversial measures that were dividing the Senate. These measures were ultimately passed with popularity's tactics definitely upsetting more conservative optimates. Caesar would be appointed curator and spent a lot of his own money to renovate and improve the Apian Way, the most important road to Rome. Road work ahead? Uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. It was a political investment, as many would know of Caesar's generosity and action to improve infrastructure. It definitely helped him be elected Curial Aedile for 65 BCE. The four Aediles were magistrates who made sure Rome's infrastructure and buildings were sound and upkept, and made sure grain was coming into the city. The two Curial Aediles were also responsible for running Rome's grand annual festivals. Caesar was two years too young to become Aedile, but the exception was made for him. As custom, Caesar and his fellow Curial Aedile Marcus Calpurnius Bibulus blew through their allocated budget and used their own money to make the most lavish games possible. Again, this financial investment was political investment, to endear the people to Caesar for his lavish spending. Caesar was confident that by spending so much now, Roman voters would remember his name and vote for him in the future. All the money he was spending was worth it because the people would know that Julius Caesar was a caring politician and a good man. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. To show the people how much he cared, Caesar went all out in Roman entertainment, bringing in tons of gladiators and tons of beast fights. I have over 180 big cats, 500 other exotic animals in my care. Caesar brought in so much cool stuff, the Senate was concerned that Caesar would permanently raise expectations for Aediles and that none would ever be able to match him. Caesar's events for the people far exceeded Bibulus's events, and as such, Caesar found more of their love. His final act as Aedile was to erect Marius's trophies for his victories against the Cimbri and Teutone Barbarians. The originals were destroyed by Sola, but Caesar raising these new copies were another way he could display his connection to the famous defender of the Republic. Caesar's pizzazz came at a great cost, running a staggering debt of 31 million sesterces. I, yeah, I just thought I spent like a bad amount of money. For perspective, to be eligible for the Senate, senators needed to have 400,000 sesterces on hand. Caesar likely borrowed from Crassus to fund his expenses. Crassus was always happy to invest in a politician whose ambitions was bigger than his wallet. Caesar was betting on Caesar that his money spent on the people was political capital that would win him future votes and grant him higher offices where he could make the money back. For example, if Caesar became a general or a governor of a rich province, he could unethically make money by conquest in a war and or as a corrupt governor. In 64 BCE, after his aedileship, Caesar spent more years active in the courts. For some of this, as an ex-aedile, Caesar was a judge in trials praetors didn't have time for. While juries made the decisions, Judge Caesar could influence. The virtuous Cato the Younger was on a run of prosecuting men who had abused power and taken advantage of the Republic under Sola's dictatorship. For Caesar, it was the chance to be seen with a popular cause and take revenge on those who had hunted men down, including Caesar himself. Caesar also made prosecutions that brought him at odds with Marcus Tullius Cicero, the greatest orator in Rome. Caesar didn't win, but sufficiently stayed in the public eye enough to be elected praetor. With the praetorship, Caesar would also be guaranteed a governorship as well. 
In 63 BCE, Caesar ran for Pontifex Maximus, the head priest of Rome. Victory would greatly enhance Caesar's auctoritas and further his career. But Caesar was running against older, more distinguished men. But Caesar bet on Caesar, plunging further into debt to spend money and attract influential voters. Caesar literally could not afford to lose. His lenders were also betting that their investment in Caesar would pay off. But if he did not win this election, they couldn't trust that he would win future ones and demand their debt repaid, leaving Caesar broke and politically dead. I am never going to financially recover from this. Of course, Caesar won. Fun isn't something one considers when running to be head priest of Rome. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. While becoming Pontifex Maximus didn't yield any immediate financial reward, Caesar did get to move into a bigger house in the center of Rome, and his Octoritas took a jump. While a tactful politician with a gift for propagating his name, Caesar was also a man who supported his family. His niece Attia recently gave birth to her second child, a son named Gaius Octavius. Caesar would have celebrated young Octavius's birth with the rest of Attia's friends and family in her home. Octavius's father was a minor senator, but with Caesar on the up and up, the infant Octavius might someday be a rising politician, just like his great uncle Caesar. In this chapter, we saw Gaius Julius Caesar born into an old, recently resurgent family. Yet the Republic was bleeding itself, in civil war, three marches on Rome, and prescriptions. Caesar himself had to escape into Italy to survive his arrest from Sola before his mother procured a pardon. Caesar came into prominence in this recovering Republic, still racked and permanently altered by civil war. While men like Pompey and Crassus enjoyed a lot of influence, Caesar's was slowly growing as he was gradually gaining popularity among the voters with a more popularis agenda. Caesar served the Republic abroad in Asia and Spain, tried to bring corrupt officials to justice, gave Rome great games as aedile, became a vocal senator, was elected praetor, guaranteed to then become a governor, and became Pontifex Maximus, Rome's most prestigious priest. He had additional notoriety and infamy for his affairs, both real and alleged. For all this, Caesar advanced himself greatly, yet was in deep debt. His political survival was not guaranteed. Caesar had to keep rising, and without advancement, he would impoverish himself and become politically impotent. His life's work, all for naught. Our essential question in this episode was, what is Julius Caesar like? Go ahead and pause to reflect on your answer if you would like. Julius Caesar, thus far, has been a pretty regular young politician. He's ambitious, and yeah, maybe he's winning a little bit more than others, but it's the same ambition that drives any Roman politician. He's hustling hard and looking to gain the love of the people. He's taking big risks and making investments that will hopefully pay off and pay out Octoritas. But Julius Caesar's life will take a turn. As a young man, he was affected by the violence of the Republic fighting itself and had to flee Rome to save himself from Sola. This won't be the last time the Republic would fight itself, and it won't be the last time Caesar is on the outs of powerful Roman politicians. But in the future, Caesar will have a choice to lay down and accept defeat or to fight. To know Caesar as a young man is to know his answer in a few decades. Mentioned earlier was that Caesar had a legendary encounter with pirates. The story goes that Caesar sailed to Rhodes to study rhetoric, 
but was intercepted and captured by pirates. The pirates demanded 20 talents of silver for Caesar's release. For reference, a talent is about as much as a man weighs. So they were asking for the weight of 20 men in silver to release Julius Caesar. Caesar, being Caesar, scoffed at that amount. Are you kidding me? That is insultingly low? Caesar said that they could get 50 talents of silver for his release. He raised it from the weight of 20 men worth of silver to the weight of 50 men worth of silver. Because, gosh darn it, he's guys Julius Caesar. His companions were sent to raise money, and in the meantime, Caesar fraternized with his captors, making up ribald poems and joking that he was going to crucify them. The pirates laughed at the bold young man. Caesar's friends returned with the money raised by local communities, and Caesar was released. Making land, Caesar went to communities in Asia that had contributed to his release and convinced them to raise a ramshackled navy. Caesar led his navy back to the very surprised pirates, captured them, and reclaimed the 50 talents and other pirate plunder. Caesar tried to convince the governor of Asia the pirates should be executed, but the governor would have preferred the pirates be made slaves. Caesar defied him and returned to the pirates, mercifully cutting their throats before crucifying them as promised. This legendary story is certainly embellished at some parts, but today it's pretty impossible to separate fact from fiction, but contains some of the greatest themes about Caesar's character. We see his pride, his cocksure confidence, his charisma, and skill. Embellished retellings only added to the legend in his life and to his fame. Before seeing how Caesar's life proceeds, we're going to take a look at another notable Roman. He was referenced this episode, and back in chapter 4 as well. The novus homo and greatest orator of his day, Marcus Tullius Cicero. Next week, we will examine his rise and his legal battle with Caesar. Next week, we will also see Cicero, Caesar, and Crassus's roles in the conspiracy for a hostile takeover of the Republic. You can follow the show on Twitter at D-O-T-R-R-Pod. And I'm not going to lie, Julius Caesar has burst onto the scene and the subreddit Rough Roman memes where I get um, 99% of these memes from, they love Julius Caesar and his actions. So as we learn more about Caesar and what he does, more of those types of memes will be there on the page. So if you want some education and maybe some Roman history memes as well, go ahead and check out D-O-T-R-R-Pod on Twitter. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Music